Whether you're picking and grinning or just picking or just grinning, grab a drink, pull up a seat. It's time for Roots Music Rambling. Turn it up. So, uh, Frank, guess what? What? So, uh, the Roots Music Rambler is now not only an official member of the uh, Americana Music Association, we are a voting member. In fact, I voted for the like the most recent board member re-elections or something. Um, but we are now a member of the American uh, Americana Music Association, so that's good. Um, and, and we did that for a couple of reasons, which I'll get into a minute, but even better, um, we no longer have to bite our fingernails about playing other people's music on our show because we are officially licensed to play music by BMI, by ASCAP and by CSAC, which are the three primary music licensing association folks for uh, writers and performers and uh, and uh, publishers, so we're official. We can play music. Now. So and uh, so and if I were smart, I would have had something queued up to play. But uh, yeah, we can actually play music legally on the show, and we don't have to, you know, pay extra fees or get fined. And now that doesn't mean that some service out there that is distributing our podcast won't mute things or take something down because right. they don't know that we're licensed other than we've got it on our website now. But okay. um, I was pretty uh, tickled that we were able to do that because that now makes us like more official. And most importantly, we are supporting the artists right. that we play in more ways than just we're trying to promote and publicize their music. We're actually making sure that they get compensated for that music, which is super important for them. So how about them apples? Wow. Big time, man. What are we in? (laughs) Like five, six episodes in like something like, Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think when the, at the time that we're recording this, I think we're on episode six. We're six is coming up. Yeah, six is coming up. So, and and that's another good that's, that's another good thing for people to understand about the show. We record we're, we 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 do new episodes every two weeks, but we record maybe a week or two ahead of time, and At sometimes least, yeah. we might record like three or four you know episodes ahead, which means it's been six weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time you you know hear this or see this, and and that's just good to keep in mind, so that when if we're talking about something that's timely. Uh, like, for instance, I think a couple episodes ago, I talked about the the Jason Isbell, Oliver Anthony controversy. Well, by mm-hmm. the time that episode came out, it was two weeks old or maybe even four weeks old. Uh, but so keep that in mind. We're not we're not trying to break news here on this show or anything. We're actually just trying to explore and have conversations with artists. But we will chime in on on things from time to time. We're just of course going to lag a little bit. So there you go. Um, actually, and one other thing that I want to brag about a little bit, uh, about the show, I mean, we are, uh, you know, six or so episodes in, um, I want to encourage everybody out there, especially those of you who listen to podcasts, as opposed to watching us on, uh, YouTube and maybe you do both. We hope you do. Uh, but if you subscribe to podcasts and you have not yet explored good pods, um, I would encourage you to do so. It is a podcast app. 
Uh, it's also a website. You can go to the website. It's goodpods.com. And the main reason that I, I want to recommend that you do that is it's kind of a social network around podcasts. It's focused on primarily focused on independent podcasts, which that's us. And we love that. Uh, they have other podcasts. So the, the big podcasts are there too. Uh, but one thing that they do uh, regularly there is within each sort of category and subcategory of podcast, they actually rank the podcast's uh, popularity based on the activity around that particular show on the site. And right out of the gate, like two or three weeks in, Roots Music Rambler suddenly popped up as one of the top 50 music interview mm -hmm. podcasts. Well, now fast forward a few more weeks, and uh, I think we are the number six music interview podcast amongst the music interview podcasts that are sort of tracked on the site. And we're in the top 25 or top 50 on like five or six other categories, including being in the top 50 of all music podcasts. And again, That's it's based on activity on that site, not, you know, Apple and everything else. Sure. But we are very uh, appreciative of the recognition and glad that people on Good Pods are enjoying the show. So we wanted to give them a shout out and encourage people to go check out Good Pods because the more of you go and like our episodes there and all that good stuff, the, the higher we'll get. Maybe we'll be number one one day. That'd be kind of fun. That would be so cool. <laughs> it's it's neat. I mean, and and of course, immediately because, you know. I'm 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 a ham for all this kind of thing. As soon as I saw that, we we threw up bad Good Pods badges on the website <laughs> to make sure everybody knew that we were ranked up there. So we wanted to make sure. Hell yeah! Heck yeah! We'll we'll put badges of honor on our site. So badges. if you would like to create uh, a top uh, Americana podcast list and rank us up in the tops, we'll put your badge on our website too. Just send it to me. Well, what is our Ramblers at RootsMusicRambler.com? dot com? Something that? like that. That's All us. right, so I guess we got to officially do this. Welcome to Roots Music Rambler. She's Frank. He's Falls. And we're rambling uh, on through the stories behind the music we uh, love. Uh, what 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 the hell are we doing here today oh, on the today, show? What, what? Yeah, today on the show, Jason, um, we are talking with John Haywood, and yes. um, I, I'm gonna let you. Tell everybody okay. about John Haywood because you you've met him, you've spoken with him. Um, yep. He's one of your homies. He's, so, he's one of my homies. That's <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. So John Haywood, um, I there's there's uh, five or six different ways that I'm connected with John Haywood. First of all, we're both graduates of Moorhead State University. Go Eagles! Um, and so that's, that's a big thing. And by the way, there's like this great mountain music and Americana music lineage through Moorhead state, which we'll get into over time. But, uh, John is a graduate of Moorhead state university. Uh, he grew up in Prestonsburg, Kentucky, which is about 30 minutes from Pikeville where I grew up. Uh, in fact, Pikeville and Prestonsburg are kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, city rivals in the mountains and like high school sports and things like okay. that. So. They're the neighboring town. Okay. Um, it's actually, there's actually three of us. There's uh, Pikeville, Prestonsburg, and Paintsville. And if you know anything about where people are from and whatnot, Paintsville is where uh, Tyler Childers would hang out with his buddies and play music. It's where Chris Stapleton's from. Uh, it's not too far from where Loretta Lynn and Butcher Holler are. 
um, and then Crystal Gale, of course. Yep. And then uh, Prestonsburg is in Floyd County, which if you know anything about Dwight Yoakam, you've heard you know the song Floyd County. Uh, and uh, Dwight is actually from Betsy Lane, which is about uh, eh, about a third of the way toward Pikeville from Prestonsburg. Okay. So it's the whole the country music highway that goes through there kind of goes through those three towns. But anyway, so John's from Prestonsburg and I went to see him uh, play uh, his band. He's a banjo. He's a, 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 a an old time mountain arts banjo player, not a bluegrass player necessarily. I talk a little bit about bluegrass in the, in the, when we interview him, uh, but it's really more of an old school mountain banjo playing, which he'll explain in the episode is a little different style. Um, but I went to see him play banjo and he had an art display because he's also a tattoo artist and an artist artist like he does paintings and things like that. So um, and the reason that I went to that is uh, Karen, my girlfriend, who I think I've mentioned on every show. She's I think she's keeping track now. I was like, will you please go one show without talking about me? I'm like, nope. I won't do it. Which is um, funny because Tom, my husband, is the opposite. He's like, why did it take you four episodes to mention who I am? <laughs> well, so, so now every time I bring up Karen, you can bring up Tom and, and it'll be even. Okay, and, great. And maybe we'll spend one, one episode talking more about Tom so he feels loved. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Right, so, That's all I'm going to so, say. So Karen... Um, actually has a John Haywood tattoo. Uh, it's it's on on the kind of the crook of her elbow. She's got a skull that he did, um, and he's a well known tattoo artist in the region. Um, his tattoo studio was in Whitesburg, which um, if you were paying attention about a year or so ago, there were a bunch of floods in Eastern yeah. Kentucky. Whitesburg was very hard hit by that, and his tattoo parlor was flooded. So he actually went around and did these like sort of artist in residency, uh, you know, tattoo inkings in different places. And she heard about him, went and got a tattoo. She has a lot of a lot of ink. Uh, she got one of his tattoos. So she knew him and she knew his art was going to be on display at this event. And uh, so we went to the event and we got to see him play. But that was the event that I talked about a few episodes ago mm. uh, where uh, I saw um Austin, Austin Lucas, Austin Lucas. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that was, that was the event where I got to see him and I met him that night and said, I'd love to have you on the podcast. The primary reason that I was intrigued by him, not just the art and the tattoo art, um, and the, you know, sort of old time mountain banjo playing. He also brace yourself. <laughs> he's the lead singer of a heavy metal band. That's wild. So, we have a, an interesting evening in store for you. Before we kick it all off, though, okay, let's see. Um, what we've been going to a lot of shows, all right. Yes. So, what about what? What was your first concert that you ever went to? Not necessarily like in the roots music genre, right? But um, like just the, the first one you ever went to. So. I'm not 100% sure because when I was young, my mom and my stepdad would take me to like Renfro Valley and other places where various musicians were playing. I, I remember the earliest memories I have, um, other than what I've already talked about going to the friends' houses on Friday nights, I remember we went to see um, a folk 
musician named Cy Khan, um, who I would love to track down and have on this show, by the way. He's got some really good songs. I think I still have some of my mom's old vinyl Cy Khan albums. The, um, the name sounds familiar. Yeah. So uh, and he was, I think he was a notable folk artist in the 80s, probably. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I know we went to see him. I'm not sure how old I was. Um, I've, I know I saw John Prine probably three or four times before I turned 10 or 11 years old, uh, because he was one of my mom and stepdad's favorite. The first concert I remember, like clearly remember, I'm going to a concert. Um, I'm somewhat proud of, but somewhat ashamed of it was Hank Williams Jr. Um, and I only say I'm somewhat ashamed of it because in retrospect, looking at Hank Williams Jr. in probably this would have been 1982, maybe I was nine or 10 years old when I went to this thing. Um, it was rebel flags and, yeah. you know, if the South would have won, we'd have had it made kind of, that was a very different era. And I was young and dumb and didn't know any better. And looking back now, it's like, man, he, he should have been canceled. Um, I think he's evolved and he's changed, you know, and, okay. and matured over the years. A lot of, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on him or anything, but it was a, it was a very different era. And looking back on it, I'm like, ugh, kind of cringe that I, that was one of my first concerts. Uh, but, but like you said, that was a long time ago and you were so young. Did you really have a say? Not really. I mean, I wanted, I remember I wanted to go because sure. my stepdad had a bunch of his albums and like he was, yeah. he was a very popular performer at the time. And so, of course. and when you're that young, you don't know yeah, any different. That, that's true. Um, I will tell you that this is one thing that's really cool about that uh, experience. And, and I, if I remember to do this, I'll pull this out at some point. Um, my, my mom and stepdad, my mom, my mother was the editor of the local paper in okay. Pikeville, Kentucky when I was that age. And my stepdad was like the production manager or something. So that's kind of where they met. Okay. Um, so she had a 35 millimeter back then they were just black and white 35 millimeter cameras mm-hmm. or the black film was black and white anyway, because she would take pictures for the newspaper. I had the camera and I was, I think my, I, my stepdad put me up on his shoulders. We were in like the seventh or eighth row or something like that. Okay. And I took pictures with this 35 millimeter camera. I have a really good black and white picture of Hank Williams Jr. playing. Oh, no kidding. That I took. It was one of the first pictures that I took that was in focus, probably. Um, but uh, yeah, I have that in a scrapbook somewhere. Oh, that's and, neat. Uh, so I don't have any pictures of me, which makes, makes sense. Like nowadays, I would have done selfies all night. But Oh, my God. Um, but back then, I took a picture of Hank Williams Jr. playing. I, the one thing I remember about that concert was his fiddle player looked a lot like me, had a big beard. I uh, was obviously wearing a cowboy hat. And when he was playing or when he wasn't playing, he was like, had this evil grin on his face. Like the whole time he was, he freaked me out a little bit. So that was my first concert. All right. What was your first concert? <laughs> oh, well, you want to talk about cringe. Um, oh, Actually, no, it's not. Okay, so my first concert, I was like five. And um, the only reason I went to the show was, and I know I've mentioned this before, but my father was a Chicago cop, okay? And like all cops do, they have side jobs, right? And so um, for many years, my father's side job, one of his side jobs was with uh, Jam Productions, so he would work like security at, as he called them, rock concerts. Okay. And um, so he was working a rock concert 
um, and the performer was none other than my first love, Andy Gibb. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, true story, true story. Um, so my dad got me and my mom in and, um, so that I could see Andy Gibb in concert. Wow. And I, I have like, I have some memories from it, you know, like I remember him being on stage, like we weren't really close up, but I remember like we were back a little bit enough where like the, like stadium seating, right? Like I was yep. looking down at the stage a little bit and um, he didn't have a shirt on tight blue <laughs> jeans. And what I probably just was like, so oblivious, you know, I was just happy to be hearing the music and seeing him there. Um, and then what, like nine years later, he's dead. And yeah. I like my world was shattered. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't listened to his music, but just like, you know, the, the memories that I had, you know, especially that concert and just hearing his music. Um, fun fact, side note, um, when I was in second grade, you remember the old school, um, like metal, the lunch boxes. Yep. You know, and then it had like, you know, the popular cartoons and whatever, mm -hmm. um, the characters on the lunchbox with the little matching thermos. Um, my lunchbox in second grade was the Bee Gees. Oh, wow. So you I were, a, you were in, you were, you were in deep with the Bee Gees. I was, and, the well, Gibbs. the Gibbs, the yeah. Gibbs. Um, yep. Uh, second grade. I had nice. these lunchbox and um, yeah. So that was my first concert. I mean, my first like real concert when my dad didn't have to get me in and I didn't go with a parent um, when it was when I was 13. So my okay. father, because he had that side job, he didn't allow me to go to rock concerts because they smoked dope. Of course. Um, and those were his words. And uh -huh. um, so it's whatever, 1986, yeah. 1986 was it? And uh, U2 released the Joshua Tree. Oh, wow. You went to U2. I Holy went to moly. U2. My godmother, it, 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 the show was sold out, but, you know, where I'm from, everybody's got a guy. So my godmother was able to get me two tickets to the show. So I went with a friend of mine. And my mom and my godmother <laughs> drove us to the stadium and picked us up and stuff. It was a school night uh -oh. and uh, my father was pissed. He was so mad. He didn't talk to me like the next day or probably the day <laughs> after too. He was so mad. Um, but whatever, I got to go see you too. That was like my first real concert. And it That's was- a that's a hell of a feather in your cap to see yeah. you two that early in your Joshua tree era. That's yeah. That's well, good. And then that's big. Remember a few years ago, they did like the reunion tour, like mm -hmm. the anniversary tour for the yep. Joshua tree. And um, I was so upset that I didn't get tickets and I'm not pay. I don't do the aftermarket thing. Um, and, and then this show too, it was at soldier field and, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I just, that place, it's way too stressful. So anyway, um, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead, all you people. You go have fun at this anniversary tour for the Joshua Tree. I went to the original. Yeah. 
that's that's good good bragging rights. That's good yeah. stuff. I I I do want to because you shared the U two and I will I will share this. This is if you think about our social circles in the late eighties when we were in junior high and high school, mm-hmm. um, and you think about that was hairband era. So yeah. I was trying to be cool. So I loved hair bands. But one of the first concerts that I went to, like with a friend and not a parent, um, was actually one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Uh, and I'm not ashamed at all to admit this. Um, I saw in Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky in 1987, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was her first tour as a solo artist, Whitney Houston. Ah. Oh. And she was absolutely amazing. She came out before before she sang a word. She came out and said, guys, I'm going to have to soldier through it tonight. I've got a cold. I'm sick. I have not, not before nor since ever heard anyone sing better. She was incredible and she was sick. So I believe it. I believe it. That was her flu game. (laughs) Yeah. The only bad thing about that concert was Kenny G was the opening act. <laughs> Snooze fast. Yeah, I had to kind of go. Although he did do something that was kind of cool. It was in, in the round, and he actually walked up one aisle to the concourse and walked over a couple of sections and then walked down while playing a solo, which was, you know, at the time was interesting and neat. So it was kind of cool, but I was like, oh, why do we have to listen to the saxophone player? Where's Whitney? For real. Yeah. No, thanks. Oh, but Whitney. Wow. R.I.P. She was so talented. Yeah, she was. She was amazing. Again, to this day, I've never heard anybody sing that good live or probably on tape. Yeah. Um, And I think it was the Super Bowl in 1990 when, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, Whitney Houston ruined the national anthem for all of us. Because since that time, everyone who's ever tried to sing it has tried to, to sing it like her, and, and no one can. No one so ever stop will. stop it. Just stop it. So anyway, all right. Um, one other thing before we uh, jump to break, because we want to bring John Haywood on here to talk to him. Uh, I did want to give everybody a couple of, of cool updates. We are, you know, working hard to try to get, you know, different guests and whatnot on the show. And I happen to uh, have, and I've said before on the show, I work in the marketing world and I, I have been invited to speak in an, an event. Uh, it's in the United Arab Emirates. So I'm going to Abu Dhabi. Uh, in the, the, in a couple of days from the time when we're, we're, we're filming this, but I decided that true to the DNA of this show, while I'm there, I'm going to explore the roots music of the United Arab Emirates, the Arab world and, um, knock on wood. I hope this works out because everything so far seems to be on, on pace for it. But I have uh, booked for an interview, Mohammed Dohai. While I'm there, I'm going to interview him in person. And he is an oud uh, instrumentalist. An oud is is like a, an oversized lute, mm-hmm. um, kind of predecessor to the guitar, if you will. Um, and it's a, an Arabic instrument that if you saw it, you would probably say, oh, yeah, I've seen that in movies or something before. Yeah. But he is like the... Ricky Skaggs of the United Arab Emirates. Like he is a, you know, concert performer in the the Oud. He's the guy. So he has agreed 
he he did say ahead of time, my English isn't very good. We may need to translate and overdub. I said, you know what? I'm going to be honored to be in the room with you. I don't care what we have to do. Sure. But we're we're going to explore a little uh, roots music around the world. So I'm really that. excited about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, when I first, when Roots Music Rambler was first born, that was like part of the reason why, you know, I mean, yeah. shortly after launching it, I went to Ireland for um, Tradfest and that was, you know, discovering the roots of, you know, traditional Irish music, which is what kind of helped create country music today as we know it, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, that's, that's awesome. I'm really excited about that. I am too. And, um, I'm just hoping that it'll, it'll work out because I only have one day while I'm in the country that I can do this and he yeah. is available. Um, and I think he's a little nervous about doing the interview because it's, he, his, he did say his English, English. isn't great. Although yeah. I've seen some interviews that he's done before and his English sounds perfectly fine to me. But I'm I'm working through it with him to make sure that we get get it done. Hopefully we will, and I'll I'll have a good interview to bring back to you when we come when I come back from across the planet. So <laughs> that's gonna be fun. All right, we're sipping on a bourbon, and uh, obviously I'm about out here, so we're gonna take a quick break for a refill. Take a moment, if you will, and listen to more about the awesome sponsors that help make the show happen, uh, including uh, you know our favorite, uh, our Muskox flannels. They are. Buttery, soft, built like a tank, just like me. And so, uh, Michigan State your, alums, just like me. That's right. The, the 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 man behind them, or one of the the main guys behind it, is a Michigan State alum. So if if that matters oh, to green. you, which it shouldn't, but if it does, you know, there you go. And this is kind of green. It's sort of sort of Michigan. Well, no, State go color. green. That's what we Spartans say to one another. Well, okay, you you can do that. But anyway. Uh, it's gomuskox.com uh, slash rambler and use the code rambler to get a discount and get yourself some badass, kick-ass, uh, buttery soft, built like a tank flannels. Gomuskox.com slash rambler. Use the code rambler. This is Rich Music Rambler. Hey, Ramblers, I have experienced a revolution in sound in my house, and you can too. The revolution is driven by Sonos. The Sonos wireless music system lets you play any song in any room, control it all with the Sonos app on your phone or tablet. Sonos has all the connections to give you millions of songs and stations, including connecting to your iTunes, your Spotify, Pandora, and more. Get a wireless Sonos player and hear the sound quality difference. Then get one for all the rooms in your house where you listen, but might be out of reach of the stereo or Bluetooth speaker you normally use. So I've got one in my bedroom and bathroom for when I get ready in the morning. I've got one in the kitchen and living room for when I'm hanging out with friends. And then down here in the office den for when I'm working or setting up for another episode of the show, I happen to like the Sonos Move, which is one of the speaker models. I can put it out on my patio for cookouts. It's a weather-resistant design, has an 11-hour battery life, so I don't need to plug it in out there when I have people over for cookouts or tailgates or whatever. And I can play music on all or just a few of the speakers, so I never lose my jams going from room to room. Try the move and hear the difference, then hook up all the rooms in your house for an excellent listening experience. While you move around cleaning or dancing or whatever you do in the privacy of your own home. Listen to Roots Music Rambler on it, for God's sakes. It makes me sound even more handsome. Go to rootsmusic.link slash sonos, S-O-N-O-S, rootsmusic.link 
slash Sonos. That'll take you right to the Sonos Move speaker page to purchase. I highly recommend it. And you'll love how much better your music and podcasts sound. Go to rootsmusic.link slash Sonos. That's rootsmusic.link slash Sonos. That is uh, Take Me Back to East Kentucky. There you go. John Haywood on the banjo and vocals there. That's from uh, his uh, album, Upon My Word and Honor, which is available on the iTunes and all that good stuff. And he joins us now on Roots Music Rambler. John, welcome to the show. I understand you... uh, just got off of somebody's arm or leg or back or something at the tattoo parlor, did you not? Uh, yeah, I did a full outer uh, forearm this evening. Very on good. A, Very on good. a young lady. It was her second tattoo uh, and in addition to what she already got. So she's working on getting covered. <laughs> Very good. Well, she's well on her way, I'm sure. So uh, before, I mean, before we get into to the music and whatnot, I think it's uh, – uh, you know, fair for everybody to know and for you to be able to tell everyone you you do your full time gig is a tattoo artist. You've got a tattoo parlor there in, uh, I believe, Whitesburg, Kentucky. Is that correct? Yeah, that's where I'm sitting at now. Um, working on my 20th year in the business. Wow. 20 years of tatting. Did you think when you were growing up in, I think, Prestonsburg, you'd ever be doing 20 years worth of tattoos in eastern Kentucky? <laughs> I should have known, you know, I should have known. <laughs> I did my first one when I was 13. I got my first one when I was 13. Hand-held, oh, okay. You know. Okay. How, how <laughs> illegal was that? Uh, you know, I don't know. We were doing well, illegal it, things. It is well, Eastern so. Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, That's I true. had a friend who, whose older brother knew how to make, who knew how to do stick and poke tattoos, and he taught us all how, and, we went to their house. You could get away with about anything at their house. You know, stuff you away at with <laughs> that sounds family. really unpleasant. <laughs> Stick and poke. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. So I, um, full disclosure, I have zero tattoos. Um, so I'm not, I have no idea what it feels like, you know. Um, but stick and poke, that's not something I think I'd like to um, experience. <laughs> no, you do it with. Well, we did this one with, uh, it was needle and we did it with needle and thread and India ink, all of which I stole from school. <laughs> this story. Just <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thread. It's part, it's, it's mostly legal is what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mostly legal. Yeah. I mean, we were. Okay. Can I ask about, um, like, I imagine you use your dominant hand most of the time. I mean, do you have carpal tunnel? Um, currently no. Knock on the desk here. Okay. Um, I do. Uh, I do yoga and stuff, and the yoga I do right now, the type of yoga I do, always has these uh, wrist warm ups. Oh. And uh, yeah, I've always tried. I've, I skate a uh, skateboard on and off too, and. <laughs> It's been a long time since I skateboarded because I'm always worried about 
like my wrists and stuff like that, skateboarding injuries. And... I yeah, I, I can I've, imagine. I've I've known a lot of folks have wrist uh, problems from tattooing, um, especially after you know almost you know, after twenty years of doing it. Uh, sure. When you said you were you've been doing this for twenty years, that was the first thought that I had. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, he must have. So far, time. I'm still okay. Maybe playing music helps a little bit. Maybe you know. Maybe it's not certain things aren't as repetitive as you may think okay. they are. You know, they're very, it's very varied. It's almost like doing exercise with your hands too. The way mm. you have to hold the skin with one hand and certainly you got to hold the machine with the other hand. And I'm an old school tattooer. I still use the old coil machines, you know, um, that's my favorite. Just like old instruments are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Something you can work on. Me. I like old cars too. Something you can just kind of get in there and figure out how it works. And once you really learn how it works, then you can make it. You can make certain things do whatever you want. You know? That's great. Well, I mean, I, 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 I've got a couple of tattoos, and uh, I know you're a, a well-respected tattoo artist throughout the region. We're, we're both in Kentucky, obviously, and so. I know people who have, you know, your art uh, on their arm. In fact, Karen, my girlfriend, has one of your tattoos on her on her elbow. I think it is uh, roughly forearm and elbow. Um, but I don't know that if I walked into a tattoo parlor anywhere and someone said, "Oh, I use the old fashioned coil machines. I like old stuff." I'm not sure I'd have a lot of confidence in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably uh, clean, Jason. Well, yeah. Yeah, this is what powers it, you know. Gotcha. There's a lot to go into it, but I, I compare it to music every day. I compare I compare tattooing to um, playing music. You know, it's there's a lot of different styles of tattooing, a lot of different um, philosophies and technic technical abilities, uh, specifications, and all that sort of stuff. Just like music. And nice. uh, I make a lot of comparisons, and uh, <laughs> even even learning. That's good because uh, it helps us. The technique is like learning an instrument, you know. And you're always kind of getting better at it. You're always kind of getting to where it feels more and more natural. Therefore, you can do more things. You can experiment sometimes, or you can um, Sometimes you're just sticking with the tried and true thing. You know, people get a lot of, re there's a lot of re repetition in tattoos, mm -hmm. a lot of repetition in music. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Especially, uh, there, I know there's a lot of repetition in, in bluegrass music and that's something that you play. You do play the banjo. Now I want to drop another sort of, you probably didn't expect this one coming, uh, for the audience out there. Not only is John a tattoo artist, not only does he play the banjo and play bluegrass music and traditional mountain music, but you're also the lead singer of a heavy metal band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heavy heavy metal was uh, a big part of me wanting to play music when I was a younger kid. Uh, but being where I was from, uh, there's a deep traditional music heritage around here, and mm -hmm. in order to get to the heavy metal, they made me go through that. You know, it's like <laughs> you, have, you have to trench through the weeds of, uh, you know, learning to play tunes like John Henry and uh, 
Cripple Creek and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, the stuff as a young kid, you know, you're not hearing this stuff on the radio. So why, you know, this is the old dude's music. So yeah. like you hear it all the time to the point where we were sick of it. But now that, you know, in order to get <clears throat> my first actual guitar kind of teacher person was my cousin at the road who worked for the railroad. And he really had a funky method of tuning the guitar, but he would get my guitar in tune for me, but he, would, he played bluegrass music. Uh, and, and hell, my family, uh, I come from a, my grandfather's old regular Baptist. They didn't even believe in musical instruments in the church, you know, in the church and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I, 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 I kept a lot of that sort of sad, that minor key singing, you know, in my head throughout you know, growing up. I used to impersonate my grandfather uh, and what he would say and what he would sing even though i didn't know the words like well the the banjo album upon my word and honor was came from something my papa said growing up that uh i never could understand growing up growing mm -hmm. up for years and years and years it would sound like he would say plum my word noggin and i was be like and he would say that to stuff that he was just like Lord, son, what are you doing? You know, be like, pulling my word, noggin, you know. And then it just, and then I realized as I got older, it's like, what was he even saying? And he was saying, upon, oh, upon my word, noggin, you know, he was, he was saying that. So, um, that's sort of a, uh, you know, that, that saying for me is kind of a, you know, represents my relationship with sort of the old ways of just not even, Kind of hearing it, not understanding it at first, and then later really sorting to you know, understand it and appreciate it. And you know, and I think you know those old minor keys. You find that in heavy metal all the time. So <laughs> it's true. Uh, if you say so, <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't know any different. Uh, but well, well, now that you know, most of the old time music that I'm really uh, inspired by, you know, well, I said old time music. So you know, you know bluegrass something that you know technically came later than old time music um my banjo expertise is not in earl scruggs jd or jd crow or ralph stanley or any of that if you're thinking of me as the banjo player that's not who i am um uh, banjo playing for me was a way to get away from rock and roll for a while and really explore you know this old music that i'd kind of heard growing up and really sort of see what it is and that's when I started making the uh, musical connections to the old stuff, that old stuff in heavy metal, uh, that I didn't notice when I was a kid. Cause I was too busy paying attention to the distortion and the, you know, and the amps yeah. and the, and you know, like I see, you know, Master of Puppets, you know, that was like a life changing album for me as a little kid. I see that the poster, you know, back there. <laughs> I, I traded a, I had a poison tape and I traded my friend a poison tape for a Metallica Master Puppets tape because I seen some kids wearing the t-shirts on the playground. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this was like 86 or 87 or something like that, you know. Yep. Uh, and I took it home and I put it in and that acoustical intro to the song Battery was just so scary sounding. And then when it kicked in, I traded, that's how I traded him a poison. Look for the cat. Yeah. Something what the cat dragged in or something like that. Yeah. It scared me for a minute. I took, I had to take the tape out 
because I was just like, what kind of music is this? You know, and then uh, it it was all, you know, it's like drinking. It's like it reminded me of the, when I started drinking black coffee. It's like, what? What is this? You know, and then now it's just like stuck. Nice. You nice. make the best comparisons, truly. Very good. Truly. So I, I want you to make a, I want you to make some more, more comparisons here because I, I really want people to understand the difference between, cause you, you touched on, you know, your blue, your, your uh, banjo playing is not, you know, Earl Scruggs. It's not bluegrass music. It's mountain music or old time music. What are, how, what's the difference between the two? How can you describe what you play versus what typical people understand as bluegrass banjo so that they understand the difference? Uh, well, it's much older. It's very much rooted in, um, the old African styles, actually, uh, a downstroke style of playing, um, uh, kind of inherited through oral traditions and, uh, mixed living situations in the mountains uh before the civil war and and then after uh, and these old traditions are associated with dance uh like the square dance uh a lot of folks don't you know they think about these songs as being like these old songs these old appalachian appalachian songs that they uh can trace back to Ireland and all that, but for years uh, there was an African element and uh, and even other uh, uh, you know, what you would consider minority uh, elements uh, that were present in the music, Native American elements present in um, Appalachian music, uh, especially before and after the Civil War, right up until the 1900s and. So that the music that I uh, that I like that I'm interested in, and I, I got interested in because it it, it was sort of uh, it made East it gave Eastern Kentucky it gave my myself my home you know a um, uh, a place it, it made me feel like a, a, a Eastern Kentucky, when I was growing up, felt like a no man's land. It felt like a wasteland. Like, why would you want to be here? Why, you know, there's no opportunity. There's still not many opportunities here. Yep. Um, but discovering the importance of the old time music and the effects that it had on the world at large, um, especially because it stayed preserved in the mountains longer than anywhere else. And, um, it started getting noticed at the, you know, at the times of the first recordings and things like that. And, and then that's when, so, you know, um, I guess you could describe it stylistically. Um, we call it overhand banjo, which is like, uh, instead of, you know, it's like, boom, chicka-ding, 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 chicka-ding. It's kind of like that. You're kind of like hitting down with yeah. your finger and popping the thumb string. And, and that's kind of the basics of it. And then there's a few little old timey, uh, Two finger, old timey three finger, but it's not based on uh, real fast playing. It's not based on. Um, it's very informal, um, it's centered around dance and storytelling. Um, the old ballads about things that happen, um, and it, as a musician, uh, it's musically fun. 
It's musically nice. uh, an enjoying thing to do uh, because uh, with when you're in heavy metal, uh, when you're playing in bands, and then I've played in metal, punk rock, all that, you are kind of, uh, you're having to write your own songs, put out albums, all that sort of stuff. So the old time music was kind of refreshing yeah. for me because um, you're just kind of learning these songs and you're learning these ways to play the banjo. You're not so much throwing, uh, having to spend a lot of your creativity. Well, you, you are putting your creativity into it, but it, it just sort of opened up a different idea of music for me. A different way of nice. um, where it's like you learn the song, but you make the song yours. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, as we go to break here, I want to uh, play a little bit more of your banjo music. And then when we come back, brace yourself, because I may come back from break with a little uh, Appalachitari, which is very different. Uh, but stick around here on Roots Music Rambler. Uh, we're talking to John Haywood, plays banjo, plays heavy metal, does tattoos, apparently skates, does yoga, and he's he's one of my homies from Eastern Kentucky. So try that shit on, people. Uh, stick around for just a second. Uh, this is Roots Music Rambler, and uh, here's Cumberland Gap from Upon My Word and Honor. Hey, gang, I was not a flannel guy until I found uh, Muskox flannels. Now, I don't want to wear anything else. Well, I mean, pants, you know, but you know what I mean. Anyway, so Muskox is a premium flannel shirt that comes in various colors and styles, but also all season or heavy. So they have different weights and thicknesses. They even have sizes that fit big boys like me. Now, uh, Frank, I hear the ladies like the flannel look. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, there we go. So uh, one Muskox Flannels customer actually said they are buttery soft but built like a tank. I resemble that remark, especially when I'm wearing my Muskox Flannels. They also, by the way, give $10 of every $100 order to support wildlife conservation, so you're doing some good for the earth and the animals on it with every purchase. Visit gomuskox.com slash rambler, browse the collection, and get you some buttery soft built like a tank premium flannels. Make sure you use the code RAMBLER, all caps, and get the discount on your order. That's gomuskox.com slash rambler. Use the code RAMBLER, buttery soft, yo. That might be my new hashtag. You can just kind of hear the storytelling in the music there. That's pretty cool. That's Jay Gould's daughter from Upon My Word and Honor, uh, John Haywood. Uh, 
old time banjo extraordinaire maestro here joining us on reach music rambler and uh john before the break we were kind of talking about you know the uh the differences between the type of banjo you play and the uh type of banjo that a lot of people are used to from bluegrass music um and then you talked a little bit about you know how banjo was a little bit of a break from what you grew up with you and i grew up in eastern kentucky probably about 30 miles apart i grew up in pikeville you grew up in prestonsburg i believe um and so i'm very familiar with the environment back then in the you know 80s late 70s early 80s into the 90s but tell people the the variety the polar differences between the music that we grew up with and listened to in eastern kentucky because i think a lot of people think rural america and automatically think country and they don't really understand that there's a wide variety, especially we didn't grow up in the dark ages. We grew up in the 80s and 90s. So there was a lot out there. So tell people a little bit more about the musical influences you had growing up when you started listening to music. Um, <clears throat> well, I immediately think about my dad's record collection and this little box of eight tracks that he had. Yes, and, eight tracks. And, you know, and that record collection has become my it was the start you know i didn't notice as a kid but you know uh as i got older my dad you know just gave me those records and then i've just built on to <laughs> so um stuff that my dad was listening to uh within you know the eight tracks and it would, would be like led zeppelin uh acdc <laughs> um let's see what else did he have in there? ZZ Top, uh, um, what else? The Beatles, uh, Rolling Stones, that was in Dad's record collection. Um, let's see, The Who. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, trying to think, you know, and I was born in 77, and, and at some point or another, you know, they quit. Dad started buying tapes and stuff like that. So yep. and then Fleetwood Mac, you know, of mm -hmm. course. <laughs> Rush. Good, good classic rock tunes. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, I remember there being Rush in there. And uh, I, remember there, I remember Dad he had a Jimi Hendrix 8-track. Uh, Our double white at the time had a built-in 8-track into the wall uh, of the house <laughs> and the speakers in the ceiling. Um. And so my aunt next door, my sis, as we called her, she was my mom's sister. She had a little eight track player in her little Toyota and she liked Hank Williams, uh, Hank Williams Jr. and, yep. you know, Waylon Jennings and all that stuff. My granny liked, uh, uh, Waylon Jennings and, um, well, I, I hate to interrupt you oh, here, shit. but granny's <laughs> in Eastern Kentucky. I know for sure she liked Conway Twitty. Yeah, she liked Conway Twitty, and then um, she, uh, her favorite though was Merle Haggard. Oh yeah, Merle Haggard was her number one favorite, and I have a record in my collection that's uh, which Merle Haggard record it is, but he's young and shaven in it, you know. Wow. She wrote Lucille right on his face. That's her name, <laughs> Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you did it back then. You didn't think of <laughs> albums or anything as, as collector's items. Yeah. You thought of them as your possessions, and you had yeah, to put stickers or write your name on it, or some case somebody stole it or lost it or whatever. So that's true. I remember that. I had I had a you know both a cassette collection, and then I you know I probably was in high school, I guess, when CDs started to come out, 
And uh, I had stickers that I put on the the interior case of my CDs with my name and number on it in case anybody, if I'd left them somewhere and they were found, they could call me. So that's what, <laughs> that's how we used to keep track of that shit back before it was all MP3 files. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's a lot of early musical influence. I, I lived in a holler surrounded by family, you know, so um, up the holler was my, I had older cousins and um, I remember uh, going to his skating party and, uh, for a birthday party, we rent out the Archer roller rink, and we listened to uh, uh, Cinderella, and uh, I forget what Cinderella album it was, but and then we listened to Beastie Boys "License to Ill." And, yep. And to me, Beast listening to Beastie Boys that was it for me, you know. And, and then it was Run DMC, and me and my cousin Nut, uh, God rest his soul. Um, when we were young and listening to rap, decided we were going to start a rap group. And we just took a little tape deck out behind the house. You know, we were the kind of, we were the kids that got home from school, you know, at like a certain time. And then yep. it was hours before our parents got home. Yep. <laughs> so we would sit out and, uh, and just rap. You know, we didn't really understand rapping. We would just, uh, just make up shit off the top of our heads, you know, about mm-hmm. kids at school that we didn't like, who, you know, <laughs> either had picked on us, you know, who we wish we could kick their ass or something like that. And yep. I'll never forget trying to uh, use one of my dad's records. I, I went through the records and tried to find one that, like, maybe I could put on a turntable and learn how to, like, do the little scratch stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. You know, I didn't understand it. You know, at the time I was like, what makes it do that? You know, what makes it? <laughs> so I just did a rap and I took the needle and I went back and forth on the record like that with the needle. Oh no. <laughs> and I was, and I started rapping about this kid. I was going to kick his ass at school. I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting choked there- up because it's bringing back memories. <laughs> is, there, is there any, um, are there any recordings of this still in existence? No, well, so there was, <laughs> here was the thing about it. So the tape goes into the tape basket, you know, and, uh, years later we discovered, you know, my, the big discovery for me of rock and roll was, uh, appetite for destruction, you know, and, um, and I found out about Appetite for Destruction because we would ride the school bus in the morning and um, the the school bus driver had a tape deck and and he would play whatever tape somebody would give him at the time. And, uh, wow. And That's cool. Well, first, before before Appetite, it was ACDC back in black and uh, because we they would play that every single day. We listened oh, to yeah. the Black and Black album going to school on the school bus. <laughs> you know, and this is, you know, this is hollers in Eastern Kentucky. This isn't like, you know, and and before long, everybody's singing along to the songs and stuff, you know, and um, uh, especially, you know, shook me all night long. You know, it was yep. like... <laughs> And, and then from there, you know, um, and I'll never forget when Appetite for Destruction came out that somebody brought that tape on the bus and, uh, they jammed out Appetite for Destruction going to school, you know, even with the fuck offs and all that, you know, they, the bus drivers didn't care. <laughs> you, Prestonsburg and Floyd County had way cooler uh, bus drivers than Pikeville did, by God, I'll tell you that. 
God. Yeah, the old dude's name was Glenn, and uh, he did. He was losing his hair and his teeth. I remember he smoked camel non-filters. He'd stand up there and smoke his camel non-filters when he dropped That's off. That's rough. And just uh, as long as we was, you know, whatever. And um, and speaking of, you know, and it's funny the stuff, you know, the bus, what it exposed me to. And these were like holler kids. This it was uh, the next big thing I got exposed to on the bus was uh, this kid gave me a VHS. It said Metallica Cliff them all. <laughs> there you go. And I still have that to this day. That that is uh that is that goes anywhere I go. My my Metallica <laughs> Cliff them all VHS. It's it, it stays. You know. <laughs> yeah, for you kids out there, we used to have to go to a store. Yeah. If we wanted to watch a movie, and they had the movies up on the wall, and you picked one, and you hoped that there was a full container with a VHS cartridge behind the movie box because if it didn't, they were out and you couldn't watch that. And then you had to take it home and put it in a machine and hit play. Oh, and then you had to rewind it before you took it back or they charged you a buck. Please be kind. Rewind. <laughs> my granny, uh, we go stay with my granny. You know, my, both my parents worked as long as a kid and uh, uh, my granny would watch us during the day. I remember she would be rented a VHS. You could rent the player, actually. Mm -hmm. And the number one movie I ever rented was fucking Star Wars. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. And just so uh, John said a couple things here that I want to go back and clarify, make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. When he talks about a skating party, he's talking roller skating. <laughs> roller okay? skating. Yeah, we not skateboarding, skating. not not uh, inline yeah. skating, roller skating. That was yeah. that was big in the eighties in Eastern Kentucky. And then he also said he that his I think he said sis had a uh, built in eight track in her double wide. Just we for you we guys had that, don't understand. We had the eight track in our double wide. She had an eight track in her old little Toyota. Little okay, she had Toyota the Toyota. So, had. so you had the eight track in the double wide. Just so people know. It, to be precise, a double wide is a double wide trailer, right? So for those of you city folk who don't know what double wides are, hey, they're hey, double hey, wide hey. trailers. Some of us city folk know what that means, okay? <laughs> oh, man, this is so much fun. So much fun. All right. So uh, we're going to, I'm going to go to break one more time. Then we're going to come back and talk about a couple other things here with uh, John Haywood. But I want everybody to buckle up and brace yourself because as we, you know, talked about uh, John's also a lead singer, guitar, uh, guitarist for Appalachatari, which is a heavy metal band. So we've been listening to his banjo music uh, to now, but now we're getting ready to hear something a little different. So uh, stay tuned. This is Roots Music Rambler and uh, brace yourself. This is called Black Jack Chevy.
Your like ears that. are not deceiving you, folks. This is Roots Music Rambler. We're just playing a little Old Joe from Appalachiatari. That is the uh, heavy metal band, the version of, of, of uh, John Haywood's music that uh, we've been talking about here on the show. John also is an accomplished uh, old school, old time uh, mountain banjo player, a tattoo artist, and all that good stuff. And uh, John, we've been you know talking a lot about musical influences and whatnot. Tell me a little bit more about uh, your family. You said you grew up in a holler. You're, you had a holler full of family members, which is generally how that works in Eastern Kentucky. How prevalent was playing music in your family? Are you an outlier, or was it something that everybody did? Um, so imagine it was more like the um, best comparison I have is to Luke Skywalker learning about Jedi Knights. <laughs> Okay. okay, I, I, there, I, there I really, it was, it was, it was, uh, um, like the, like I said, we, you know, we were old regular Baptists, um, and there wasn't a lot of people that played music, uh, in my family, but I had to discover that there had been, um, mm. by going, I found, uh, I found a fiddle, an auto harp, and a guitar in the old home place attic. And then I found photos that uh, showed folks in my family, you know, at some point in time playing music. Uh, the auto harp was my grandmother's, and she apparently played the guitar. She died wow. in nineteen. She died in nineteen seventy five before I was born. A few okay. years before I was born, she passed away, and um, it was so hard on my grandpa, on my papa, that he. Um, he really quit drinking and quit, you know, swarping and all that and joined the old regular Baptist church. Mm. So, you know, I was born in 77. And at that point in time, you know, that was, uh, if I went to church, that was where I went to church. It was the old regular Baptist. Sure. So um, because, so, because the old regular Baptists were sort of anti-music was music for you, something that was it a rebellion, an act of rebellion it, or was yeah, it something it, you just it, nothing it, did? Was it yeah, like it was, kind of, it was kind of an act of rebellion um, because it took a long time before I could convince anybody to give me a musical instrument. Mm. Um, I was real fascinated, like I said, with those old instruments in the attic. And, um, and then uh, one day my mom, it was interesting, one day, when I, this is about the time I was had been kind of begging around for instruments, she buys a keyboard, like a little uh, keyboard that's kind of like a toy, but it teaches you to play songs. Okay. And I can still play all these little songs that I learned off that keyboard to this day. You know, all these little, um, you know, Christmas songs, the birthday songs, and, you know, all those little, and you learn them one finger, because I can't do two hands on a keyboard at all. But you, cause okay. you had to learn them, you learned them one finger. And then she bought a nicer one that had a little book and, um, and, you know, we messed around with that. And I begged and begged for a guitar because a friend of mine had an electric guitar with the amplifier. And I was like, Oh, that's how they get that sound. You know, that's how mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and, uh, and I begged and begged. And finally, when I was about, uh, thir- for Christmas, uh, I- I'd played my friends. You know, whenever I go down out with him and the, for Christmas of 
my uh, turning how old was I? It was like turning twelve or something like that. Um, I was <clears throat> I got a guitar uh, for my for Christmas. Nice. And it was just downhill after that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you how did you learn the banjo? Um, the banjo was something I kind of started exploring uh, later. Um, when I had, <clears throat> once I got off to college, had a few unsuccessful rock and roll bands. Um, and I was an art student at um, University of Louisville. Uh, uh, I, I, got, I had an undergraduate from Moorhead and was a graphic designer, and I didn't like all the computer work and stuff. So I decided to do my, uh, we, we moved to the Louisville area by random chance. My wife, Kelly, got a job teaching out there, uh, near Louisville, out in Henry County, out in the country. Yep. And, um, we lived out there in a little trailer, a little trailer park out in Oldham County. And, um, I went back to school, decided I would just get my master's and focus on, um, uh, trying to get away from the computer. So yeah, uh, while while in Louisville or whatever, uh, I started getting homesick, stuff like that. After all the bands sort of failing, I, I wanted, I, you know, I always wanted music in my life, uh, whether I pursue it or um, you know put out an album or whatever. You know, I, I wanted music in my life, uh, and the banjo was more of a. <clears throat> Reconnecting to who I was, uh, because, well, because at U of L, um, I had to do a thesis as a graduate student. And okay. as an, as an artist living in the, the city, um, I didn't have the same backstory as met most of the people there. And, um, I had more of, uh, you know, when they're talking about, you know, where they came from, their lives and all that sort of stuff, you know, I was an alien there totally. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what made me an alien in Louisville was just the fact that I came from a, well, what, what, it was a kind of like a different planet, so to speak. Um, not to, you know, keep comparing stuff, you know, like sci-fi movies and Star Wars, but <laughs> you have to understand, I grew up, that's my, like, entire childhood. Yeah. And, uh, Same. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and then, that led to a connection to the banjo. I discovered uh, banjo players like Roscoe Holcomb and Lee Sexton. Who Lee Sexton, I eventually got to be in his ba- playing the band with him and be his nice. number one guy to call uh, in his later years. Uh, and that Cumberland Gap you played earlier, that I learned that from him. That was his unique way of playing Cumberland Gap. And in his later years, you know, uh I sort of promised him that I would carry on his style of banjo playing. Nice. Um, because really, it's a, it is a dying art here in the mountains, and not many folks do it or even know what it is. Yeah. When you're talking about it, anymore, and it's kind of sad. So I try to keep it going, and that was really a big attraction to it, that it was different than bluegrass banjo. That it was great banjo playing for sitting alone on the porch or you know, drinking coffee in the morning or winding down after work or hell, even I, I got so into banjo playing, it went with me everywhere. Like it was nice. in the car and I'd be at the tattoo shop and in between tattoos, like if I had like 
45 minutes or even 15 minutes to kill. It'd be like banjo out of the case, you know. Wow. Especially if I was there by myself. Um, well, sure. I worked when I first was tat, when I first started tattooing, I was, uh, tattooing at Big Daddy's Tattoo and, uh, on Dixie Highway uh, around Radcliffe, Kentucky. <laughs> and you would have the busiest days in the world and then you would have what felt like the slowest, just like, Yep. Nothing's happening in here today, but you know, still be open for that. Maybe that late night straggler that, you know, wants such and such his name on his chest, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd have the banjo in the back. I'd be back there going to town. You know? And there you go. Gives yeah, you a good opportunity banjo, to practice. Have you done any banjo tattoos? Oh, tons. It's almost like. Somebody wants a tattoo of a banjo or a banjo player. It's almost like I'm the guy now. <laughs> well, because I also did a lot of art of banjo players. That that okay. also became um, an or you know, I'm I'm an I don't know if I'm an obsessive person, obsessive compulsive type person or not. But I tend to go really all all in on the things mm. that I do, um, and. <clears throat> You kind of have to, I guess, if you're going to make a living at it, you know, the tattooing music. Um, for sure. Uh, you know, but I don't know what I was getting at. We can back up and scratch that. <laughs> Banjo tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah, doing, I did, uh, well, I get all obsessed with it. Not only was I obsessed with playing the banjo, but I wanted to explore it in terms of artwork as well. Okay. Um, because not only were my, uh, uh, you know, as a musician interested in the playing, the techniques, the whatever, but the story, the history, the songs have histories yeah. behind them. Um, even the techniques have histories behind them. Um, my, my number one mentor who I lived next to for seven years <clears throat> at the head of the creek over on uh, Little Devils was George Gibson. And he's kind of a banjo historian. You can look him up. Uh, and he describes remembering as a young boy in the late 50s when he started learning to play that banjo styles were as different as uh, just accents from one holler to the next. And um, and he could he could remember some of it because <laughs> uh, what, what happened with bluegrass is uh, Earl Scruggs and this is how people for, kind of forgot about old time music was um, <clears throat> Earl Scruggs came along and everybody wanted to learn to play like him. Um, he was one of the first recorded banjo players that mm. was, you know, I mean, when 78s and all that stuff was being marketed. You know, mm. And the, the goal of those 78s, the goal of those recording companies was to record our music and then kind of sell it back to us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a that's that was the beginning of a really cool influence that you know our culture had on the world, but it's also the beginning of a very bad trend of of uh, people feeding us our culture back to us in a false way that we sort of we latch on to this false identity that just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows over the years and through generations. That's really not what being you know what something even was to begin with. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm curious, you've got, you know, obviously 
the pursuit of preserving the somewhat dying art of old time banjo playing. You've obviously got your, you know, heavy metal band and I'm sure other musical interests too. And you've got your, your tattoo art uh, and you've got art art too. Cause I mean, I, the, when I first met you, you were actually performing that night. You were performing banjo, but it was a combination sort of, you know, art gallery display of your artwork, which is not just tattoo art. It's also, you know, art that you would buy and hang on the wall. I'm curious what motivates you in maybe across all those things? Is it, I want to earn a living? Is it, I want to express my creative vision? Is there something that sort of ties all that together for you? Um, it has to be a little bit of, of all of it, you know. Um, uh, <clears throat> you have a family to support. Um, I've worked plenty of shitty jobs before I got into uh, the tattoo business. Um, the tattoo world is kind of the anchor. Um, and when you first start as a tattooer, you got to go all in. And when I was first as a tattooer, you know, I didn't have, like I said, I brought the banjo with me and I only played it at work. I wasn't doing shows. I wasn't doing, um, anything that really could take me away from, um, uh, being at the shop because I, I wanted to establish some way of being able to support myself. Mm -hmm. Um, or else, you know, what, you know, what we all do, we all have to do that. So we all have to, um, and I explored so many different ways of making, uh, how I could make artwork as a living. Um, my number one route. So you got to have like a, uh, I don't know what you call it, like something that's like a, um, I've went to so many different churches and so this one church described it as a, uh, and I'm not, I don't even, go, I don't go to church anymore. Um, but, uh, I remember one church describing a, it's like a core value, you know? Yep. And, and you have a core value sort of that drives everything in a way. And then you have all these other things that are forever sort of like in motion and changing, you know, your, um, you're always adjusting and trying to look at the world for a different light or whatever. Um, but my papa, I've talked about my papa a lot because he practically, he had a really big hand in raising me as a kid. And he was a coal miner. He quit school in the sixth grade, you know, to work in a coal mine. Wow. Um, you know, and if you got kids, that's kind of like, what, you know, like, what kind of world was that, you know? Um, it was a different one. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so yeah, he told me, uh, one day when I was, I guess what you would call coming of age, you know, the times, when, um, and he kind of taught me how to like earn some money, you know, uh, like grass cutting. Uh, that was a big thing. Cut grass for my papa. Um, and he, you know, he let me use you know, some stuff to go cut someone else's grass, you know, or, and, but he told me, um, you know, he had black lung and all that. He said, now, John, um, he said, if there's one thing you need to do, remember in life is this. They can take, uh, if you chase a job, uh, they can take it away from you. They can take your job. They can take, um, you know, your home. They can take whatever. There's a, 
Uh, if you can learn to do something that you love and be good at it and, um, and focus on that over profits, over anything else, but, and meaning just sort of keeping it, you know, alive, I guess, hope, you know, you're like, then, then not, they, they can't take that from you. That's, right. if there's one thing they can't take from it's that. It's hmm. your, your drive to, um, you know, for knowledge. And, and it's, he said this to me and it changes, you know, it, my, my interpretation, just like the, upon my word and honor, the, you know, what it means changes for me as I get older, you know, sure. and learn and have more life experiences and all that sort of stuff. And it really, you know, and I've always thought about what it meant. And I was young, it meant go to college and get an education. Uh, because, uh, that is a very important thing to have because he missed out on one. Yeah. And because he missed out on one, he worked like a dog, you know, from the time he was a little kid. Um, I'm proud to say my father, my papa was a, uh, he was a big, um, uh, he was a UMWA member, a United Mine Workers Association, um, a big union organizer. Um, Hmm. I learned, I, it's what's in, what's interesting. If you, you know, I, I learned new stuff about him all the time and, you know, he's been gone long, he's been gone quite a while. And, um, and that was something I learned just recently. You know, like I had this belt buckle, his union belt buckles and a lot of his old stuff after he passed away. And, um, but I didn't understand until talking to another friend of mine that I grew up with, but, you know, he had a, kind of a different family that lived in the area. You know, told me some stories about him and hmm. stuff. And so that to me is, is, you know, that's a, I think that's a nice driving force to have in life. Um, and I've worked so many other shitty jobs. You know, I pump gas, I flip burgers, <laughs> and, you know, I put up with little kids. <laughs> oh my, that's the worst. That's the most horrible thing on the planet. That was, that was, that was when, yeah, I tried to quit tattooing and have a normal job. When I moved back to Eastern Kentucky, I tried to have a normal job and I took this little teaching position. I ended up having to teach art to K all the way to 12. And oh, wow. it was, it was the biggest nightmare in my life. And I would imagine I, that's a that's a big array of people to have to figure out. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. K through twelve, yikes! Yeah. So I I was like, I'm not going to live like this. No way, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna you know I'd, I'd already been through however many years working at Big Daddy's. I knew I realized I knew everything I needed to know to to go back to tattooing, and I just um, needed a place. <laughs> <laughs> I still had a lot of my old equipment and, you know, I just needed a spot. And so that's what I did. I, that one year of teaching, you know, put, put every, put it in perspective, you know, put a lot of what my grandfather said back in, you know, into perspective is that is a steady paycheck worth the misery. And mm. for me, it's just like, I don't know where the drive came from. Maybe it's what he said all these years, you know, because I see a lot of folks, a lot of friends and folks, they, who could probably do just what I'm doing, but who kind of hung up the pursuit 
for a more you know secure life, I guess. Sure. Or you know, stuff happens. You know, not everybody. Yeah. You know, some a lot of my friends. Some of my friends had kids when they were young. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, what are you going to do? You know, then you know, it, it makes it it made it hard for a lot of my friends to be able to say go on the road and play music. Yeah. Yeah, so, sometimes life makes those choices for you. Yeah, 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 it does, and that's kind of where tattooing led. You know why? It, 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 you know, I already like tattoos. You know, <laughs> as a musician, you know, I'm a heavy metal guy. You know, of course, I like tattoos. I, my best friends were tattooers, um, and that was what led to me get you know getting in the business. <laughs> and so. It was, it's like, you know, like, and I did, I never even thought that it was even going to go that way because while I was friends with tattooers, I was trying to be a graphic designer, an art teacher, all this other stuff. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, and then I started having kids and stuff. And I, you, you even start wanting to sort of like prove to your kids that, uh, these talents are worthy enough for pursuit as a means of supporting yourself and sustaining an income uh, makes you feel good about yourself. You can do that sort of thing. Um, sure. And you will really never work so hard at anything else though. <laughs> That's you know, very true. I mean, it's 24 seven and it doesn't yeah. stop. You, you might That's get some true. Sundays and a few hours here and there that you can put your feet up, you know, but there's always someone message back and, you know, client that, you know, or, well, I, I'm sure it helps that you're you're doing something you're passionate about and you love and you're doing a good job of it. So um, congratulations for carving out that path in life. Tell people where they can find you on the interwebs, where they can find the tattoo shop, where they can find the music and all that good stuff. So HaywoodArts.com is a website that's probably not been updated maybe since COVID or since the flood. <laughs> We've been going through a, a kind of mini apocalypse in Whitesburg. You know, we had the the the, uh, the COVID and all that, the shutdowns, and then as soon as we were coming out of that, we get the flood. You know, and oh, yeah. Yeah. how we managed, how Appalachian managed to record an album and all that, and you know, we got a record coming out. So it's like, and December, I'm not, we're hoping like an actual record, and how we managed to do that, and you know, our Tattoo shop got flooded. I had to tattoo all these different places. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think I was going to tattoo Karen. Was that? Yep. Um, Sean's life in Lexington. Yep. And um, yeah, somehow we managed to do it. So, but uh, yeah, on so HaywoodArts.com, uh, Instagram HaywoodArts. The tattoo shop is called the Parlor Room. Mm-hmm. Appalachiatari is Appalachiatari on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> and and on Facebook and all that sort of thing. Well, we'll make sure that there are links to all those places in our show notes. And do yourself a favor, folks. Go out there and download some Appalachiatari. Download some John Haywood. And uh, if you're if you're in the in the mood for a road trip, head to Whitesburg, Kentucky, and get yourself some ink from the man, the myth, the legend, John Haywood. John, yeah. thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us, man. 
Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It was a real blast. Nice way to right. kind of wind down the evening. And- <laughs> well, I, I'm proud to I'm proud to say you're the first fellow Moorhead State grad uh, that we've had on the show. Uh, Francesca's had a fellow Michigan State grad on the show before. Uh, uh, yeah. you're my first uh, my first Eagle. So go yeah, ahead. I, um, I was just thinking about all the Eagles that. All my other buddies, all my more head buddies. Yeah. <laughs> that are out doing things these days. <laughs> I was gonna say we could probably go through an all star roster of of Moorhead <laughs> maybe not graduates, but at least Moorhead students, students that have gone yeah. on to great point. success in, in the music world. So yeah. uh, we're 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 knocking them down one by one and you were first. So thanks for coming on the show. All right, we're going to head to break now with uh, one more tune from Upon My Word and Honor, uh, which is available on iTunes and wherever you get your music from John Haywood. This is called Never Get Drunk Anymore. Nope, that wasn't it. This is called (laughs) Never Get Drunk Anymore. Okay, well, we're back. Thank you to John Haywood for such an entertaining and really, for me at least, thought-provoking um, interview. Yeah. His comparisons were fantastic. Uh, and, like, the last couple of guests, seems like, have been really deep philosophically, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate that. But it was good. <laughs> it was fun to talk to him. Um the, the heavy metal stuff was really cool. Yeah. And um, maybe one day I can actually play banjo like he does. So. Maybe, maybe. I maybe. I don't think I'll ever be able to do anything like he does. But um, I, but I don't really have any talent. I can just talk. That's all I can know how to do. Well, that's so. a talent. Well, a, yeah, I guess. A, a curse, blessing mm. and a curse, which mm. is a drive-by trucker song. But anyway, um, so what you've been listening to? I know you got some new merch, but what you've been listening to? Yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a, a southeastern hat uh, from from Karen. She she got me that, and she said, "I want to give you a early Christmas present. I just don't want to wait to give it to you." I'm like, "Okay, fine, whatever." And she gave me the hat. I was like, oh, it's awesome. I love it. So I'm 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 anticipating all of my sports fan friends going, "Hey, what school's that from?" You know, so it'll be fun to educate some people about that and for um, those listening who are watching who may not know the meaning of southeastern yes that is the name of of uh jason isbell's i think it was his first album after rehab mm-hmm. that was 13 years ago now is that right something like that southeastern well it was just an anniversary no, no, it was 10. 2000. It was 2013. It, was 2013. it just did its 10-year anniversary. That's right, because it did the big double, triple album thing. Right. Um, yeah, so that that was the one with uh, Cover Me Up uh, and several other fantastic songs. It was kind of his, you know, big, critically yeah. acclaimed, Grammy-winning 
you know, album. So it's Southeastern, it's a hat for his album, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I got, a, I got a hat, which is cool. Um, and I've been, I've been listening to a lot of Jason Isbell lately and I'm, I'm really kicking myself for not getting into him earlier in life just cause I've missed, you know, a lot of his great years. Um, I'm glad he's still kicking and still going and still making yeah. good music, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but, um, speaking of, uh, so John Haywood, uh, from Prestonsburg, Kentucky, Speaking of artists from Prestonsburg, Kentucky, um, I have been digging in a little deeper to Sunday Best, uh, which you may have heard of. It's a, a, a duo. They're both from Prestonsburg. Nicholas okay. Jamerson is one half of the duo. Uh, and I've been not only listening to a lot of his solo stuff, but I have been wearing out his PR team to try to get him on the show. I'm like, hey, tell him somebody from Pikeville wants to get him on the show. We're neighbors, by God. So, you know, I've been trying to work the work the Eastern Kentucky angles to get him on. But he's in the middle of a solo go. tour, so he's very busy. Wow. And I get that. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we'll have Nicholas Jamerson, maybe both of them, on the show at one point. But I've been digging into Sunday Best, um, and Sunday Best is playing – uh, at the Mercury Ballroom in Louisville in February, maybe. And uh, I got tickets to that. So oh, I'm going nice. to go see him too. So that's good. Nice. Um, and then the other Nicholas Jamerson, uh, I might go see in December. I think he's playing at the Borough in Lexington, Kentucky, which you've okay. never, if you've never seen a show at the Borough no. in Lexington, Kentucky, you should go. Okay. Um, but great live music venue. So the borough, and they do a lot of Americana acts there. Anyway, so Nicholas is playing a solo show in Lexington in December. Um, he's doing two nights with Magnolia Boulevard. Magnolia Boulevard is a Lexington-based group. Fantastic. And I was introduced to them during the pandemic because okay. one of my clients at the time was the CVB, the uh, Convention and Visitor oh, yeah, Bureau yeah. in Lexington. And visit in, Lex. to kind of, yeah, visit Lex in order to uh, kind of serve the community better during um, the pandemic when travel wasn't happening, they sort of, we, we helped them sort of flip it around and say, let's focus on supporting local businesses who are probably going to struggle because people can't go to restaurants. People can't go to live yeah. events. One of the things that we did was we took uh, the borough, invited musicians in to play shows with obviously no audience, but they recorded them and then visit Lex would play those shows back on their Facebook feed to say, Hey, here's a local artist. We're supporting the Burl and what they're doing. And Magnolia Boulevard was one of those groups. And I kind of got hooked on them then because they, their, their live set was great, even though there's no audience there because of sure. during COVID. But, uh, Nicholas Jamerson and Magnolia Boulevard are playing at the Burl in December. So I may go to that as well. So those are the things that I've been listening to. What about you? Awesome. Um, geez, what have I been listening to? You know, um, nothing really like new or different or old that's new again, to be honest. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, however, I do have the opportunity to uh, see SG Goodman tomorrow night in Chicago. Uh, I'm going to see her a week from tomorrow. Yeah. 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 When my, I get back from my 
big visit to uh, uh, the United Arab Emirates the next day. I'm going to see S.G. Goodman here in Louisville. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be um, really tired, but I'm going to go see your play. <laughs> seriously, the jet lag. Woo. Um, yeah, my friend Michelle, uh, I've talked about her before. We went to uh, the Nathan Graham record release. Mm -hmm. uh, we went. I went to see Coulter Wall with her. So she has an extra ticket, and she asked if I wanted to go with her. And I do, but, you know, like that whole mom thing. So, um, yeah. I got to figure that out first before uh, I can commit to it. But I would really like to, I would like to see her in a smaller venue um, yeah. before we see her open for Tyler Childers at United Center next year. Yeah. So um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd really, I, I really want to go, but we'll see. Well, then, Tom, um, you are, you're always wanting to make the show. So Tom, you're making the show, help her go to the SG Goodman, take the kids and, Go buy him ice cream or something so she can go to the <laughs> concert. Tom, Tom, you're Tom, on the show, Tom. Seriously. <laughs> um, he, that's not even the issue. It's, you know, whatever, but I understand. he, he would, he would do it anyway. Um, <laughs> and then, so not this coming weekend, but the following weekend is Nathan Graham's other record release party slash yeah. show. Um, and I may or may not have bought the ticket for that show at his last show after I'd had about seven IPAs. Oh, nice. And, and I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm gonna buy a ticket. <laughs> we're gonna go. <laughs> um, and so I got a ticket. Very nice. Hey, yeah. one other thing uh, to, to throw out there for folks, uh, just as a teaser, um, I saw on uh, probably Instagram, maybe Facebook today. One of my favorite, what I consider roots music, which is, you know, sort of their, they kind of cross genres. One of my favorite bands from the last 15 years that I don't think they ever made it really big. They were on Capitol Records. So they, they had a couple of, you know, decent shots at a big album. And they had a couple of maybe top 40 songs. Uh, but there's a band out of Texas. Uh, I think they're out of Austin, Texas called Green River Ordinance. And if you don't know GRO, uh, they were, they, they were together for 10 or 12 years and, um, you know, had some, some, some modest success. And then they kind of, you know, they didn't really break up. They just kind of, you know, didn't do a tour. And I think COVID kind of messed with them a little bit. Um, but I saw that today that they are in the studio and new music is coming from them in 2024. And I'm super excited about it. And the reason that I know who they are is years ago, um, I was at South by Southwest mm. and this was back when social media marketing geeks were important. And that's my only claim to fame is for a little while I was a social media marketing geek and I was in that wave of we were important for a couple of years. And so I actually was friends with someone who was in the marketing department at AT&T and they were throwing a cocktail party event at a bar in Austin during South by Southwest. And my friend Chris said, hey, we've got a live band playing at our party and they want me to introduce them. But I don't like being on stage in front of people. Will you do it for me? And I'm like, fuck, yeah, I'll do it. That's uh, that's wheelhouse for me. I love that shit. So it turns out the band was Green River Ordinance. And I had never really heard of them. 
I went backstage and introduced myself to them before the show and got to meet them all and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I went out on stage and I introduced them. I think I said something like I'm the godfather for all their children or something like that. It was just being goofy. And they got up and they blew the roof off the joint and blew me away. And I immediately went and downloaded everything they, they had put out at that point. And so I just think they're fantastic. They've got one of my favorite songs, um, uh, in the world. I love the song. It's called, uh, dance and shoes. So we'll put a link to that, uh, that song in the show notes. Yeah, Green River Ordinance, new music coming next year. So I'm excited about that. All right. There you go. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, I'm not familiar. Yeah, good stuff. Dancing Shoes is my fa- is probably one of my top five favorite songs. Of all. Of all time. Fr- from any Yep, I any sing artist. it to myself all the time. I love the song. Right. It's even, the, the song even references Lou Harris. Like it's it's just a great, just go listen. Dancing Shoes, Green River Ordinance, right, go listen right. to it. They got a bunch of other stuff too. They're, they've got some good, good shit. So, awesome. All right, Roots Music Ramblers, a production of Falls and Partners, copyright twenty twenty three. Our theme music is Sheepskin and Beeswax by Gentacorum. Join us online at rootsmusicrambler.com and make sure you mash that subscribe or follow button so you remember to join us for the next hoedown and throwdown. She's Frank. He's Falls. And whatever you do, kids, ramble on.